Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I know Wilbon hates this because he thinks that it's the end of everything he grew up with. And maybe I believe it'll just lead to one large conference, which will be subdivided regionally and, and direct negotiations with television executives to just, you know, put those games on. And what do they care if Rutgers or Oregon State gets any money? Do you see it that way, too? How do you see that college football, just specifically college football playing out? Well, what do I know? Because I'm just a stupid girl, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Sally Jenkins is a national treasure. <laughs> I had an email from Crystal as a saying that. She's a national treasure. Indeed, that's true. Michael Kornheiser is here. Nigel is with us. We're sitting around Uncle Benny's table. Oh, what is our studio situation, by the way? I, am, I have a studio visit tomorrow afternoon. Okay. And we should know at that point um, okay. how soon we'll be able to get back. Will they the- actually meet you for this one? We're, yes, we're hoping that they will. Um, but yeah, it could, be, it could be ready as soon as next week. So Okay. I'm not going to start by talking about the Nats. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to talk about Strasburg collecting part of his $250 million and never throwing another inning. I'm, not, I'm just not. Trey Turner... Uh, getting pulled from a game because he has the coronavirus later in the show. But maybe. less likely to be traded with the COVID virus. Yes, because right? he can't play right away. He's going to be out for 10 days. I, I don't know how this works anymore. He's in the middle of the dugout. How can they not sit everybody else down through contact tracing? How does that, how does that work? So yeah. I'm not a doctor. I am a doctor, but you are a doctor. that kind of doctor. Passed a few bases on his way to the dugout, too. Yeah, I just I don't, I don't really get it. I don't really get it. There's a story in the Post this morning that the um, Washington football team is lagging behind ridiculously. Yeah. Like only 60% of their people are vaccinated. And Ron Rivera says, I want them to get vaccinated, but I'm not going to insist on it. And I'm not going to a- tell individual members to do it. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Every single person on your staff has to be vaccinated. That is the rule in the NFL. The NFL has been better, I think, about vaccines than any league. And and Ron Rivera, I guess he wants to keep up that good relationship with his players. He knows who's not been vaccinated. Sure. Of course, he knows. So who's it's not it's been, been one week one week since their their new rule sheet came out in terms of like potential forfeits and loss yeah. of money. Yes, can they have they have they released the delta in terms of what's the increase in vaccine if there has been since that's come out? I don't know. I don't know anything about that because that's I, the number you want to see. I right? think that you know. I think that at this point, I think you'd be foolish. To not say what I'm going to say now. At this point, if you're a professional athlete and you haven't been vaccinated, you don't want to. You've had oh, sure. every yeah. single opportunity. You've had, you've been lobbied by doctors. You've been lobbied by your coaches. You've been lobbied by the league. But but particularly in that league, there's a difference. When that came out, there were key players who were grandstanding about, "I'll never do this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm they, standing up on the mountain." Well, then they shouting. Withdrew, they withdrew that object that right. those so tweets. That is different. Than if some Leonard people, Fournette never wants it, good, leave the league. That's sure. different. Than some people just said like, "I've been against it till now." But you, you've no. even seen this with lawmakers who say, as the Delta variant continues to rise, yeah. and, and you look because at we're going to be wearing masks again in two weeks. Already are. Yeah, yeah already we're going to be wearing masks. Yeah. So. All right, so I'm going to begin with something that I haven't actually read yet. Uh, Nigel, you got this. This is a this is from John McHugh in oh, yes. Chase Maryland. Gary Braun uh, forwarded this. I'm just going to read it, dear Mr. Tony. On the day of your Team 40 episode from June 16th, I found myself listening while driving in Omaha, Nebraska. 
I was going to the site of the Olympic swim trials to pick up my niece from her daily off-day training swim. She had placed sixth the night before in the women's 100 backstroke final. So not quite in the top two, meaning not on the Olympic team. To hear Pat Forty's description of the nerves and immense anxiety of being a parent of one of the swimmers struck me as completely true. Flash forward, flash forward later that night and the women's 200 free. We were there, and when Brooke Forty touched the wall in sixth, I let out a hearty lachiserie to nobody in particular. Though my family looked at me like I was nuts, as a little, I was happy for Brooke that she had made the team as a relay alternate, or so I thought at the time. My niece, who also happens to be my next-door neighbor, wasn't swimming again until Friday morning for the 200 backstroke prelims, then the semifinals that night, and she was eventually seated second going into the finals Saturday night. She had one more shot to make the team, and this was it. So when Saturday rolled around, we were all nervous wrecks. At our 20-person family dinner that night, shout out Cascios, um, Cascios Steakhouse, I thanked the Mater D for squeezing us in at the last minute and then apologized to him that much of the food might go uneaten. We arrived at the CHI Center, I assume that's where they swim in Omaha, early that night and anxiously waited. Her parents, my wife and I, all pacing around the concourse of the arena, all in separate random solo orbits. Anywhere felt better than our seats at that moment. Boy, do I know that. Boy, do I know that, that you have to move around when your kid is going to perform. It was not until that evening session's opening sound and light show that I finally had a sense of calm. We were in our seats, all wearing matching t-shirts. Our niece was in lane five next to Reagan Smith in lane four. Reagan is the world record holder in the women's 200 back and had already made the team in other, two other events. A lifetime of work would come down to just two minutes in the pool below us. And she did it. Barely placing second by 33 hundredths of a second. My niece is an Olympian. Now, has that been contested yet, the 200 back? See, I don't know. I'm not following. Anyway, I'm not sure. But wait, unbeknownst to me at that time, this result was one of three things that couldn't happen Saturday night in order for Brooke Forty to know she had officially made the team. As we learned in excruciating detail during his July 9th appearance, Pat Forty and family needed to wait one more anxious night to find out whether Brooke would finally get one of the 26 spots. Sorry, Pat. So while Brooke Forty is unequivocally the official Olympian of the Tony Kornheiser Show, may I ask you if you could name my niece and next-door neighbor, Phoebe Bacon of Chevy Chase, Maryland, the official Tokyo Olympics women's 200 backstroker for the Tony Kornheiser Show. Sure. We live about a three-wood away from the formerly undisclosed location, and this designation for Phoebe would make this long-time little Phoebe's Uncle John a very happy man. By the way, I sort of wonder if she swam with Katie Ledecky. I mean, if she's local, if they all swam together, I don't, I don't know how think. that works. We would also be grateful for all littles out there to cheer along and scream at their TVs when Phoebe jumps into the pool Thursday morning for her 200 backstroke prelim. Okay, so that's tomorrow morning. And hopefully again on Thursday night for the semifinals and God willing for one last chance at Olympic glory in the finals on Friday night. And feel free to shout out Phoebe Bacon on the PTI show this week. John McHugh, Chevy Chase, Maryland. That's lovely. I love this email. Absolutely. Isn't that great? Absolutely lovely. Lovely email. Um, so we have... Uh, Barry's Verluga from Tokyo. We don't know how that's going to work. Um, I'm not going to, you know, should I ask about Simone Biles? Maybe I should. Maybe I should. But don't you, don't you want to know about what Barry's day is like? Yeah, did you, did <laughs> you, you read Chuck Culpepper the other day in the post? 
No, just in terms it. of like getting lost. Like part of going to the Olympics is getting lost, and he just he has these very specific images that you would, you would remember. These these are snapshots back to all the Olympics over the last like thirty years. Uh, you know, just getting lost, asking for help, finding yeah, you know, you don't finding know random you vendors. What yeah. kind of food he's yeah, well, eating? You walk in yeah. seriously. I walked in Atlanta. I walked into weightlifting. There's no chance I would ever walk into weightlifting. I walked into weightlifting because Remnick had said to me, "I think weightlifting's good." And in a phone conversation, uh, it's the greatest event I think I've ever seen. Weightlifting, <laughs> just lifting up rocks. You know, yeah. you just lift weights, and and the drama is, you know, the next this guy, let, for argument's sake, this guy has lifted two hundred fifty pounds. You're about to lift two hundred fifty pounds to tie him, and you back off the bar, and the announcer goes, "He wants more weight," <laughs> and you go to two fifty one, and you crush the other guy. Two fifty one. So it's yeah. So it's sort of like it's it's sort of like the Price is Right. Yeah, showcase showdown. That's, that's right. sort of what it's like. Yeah. So that's what happens when you go to the Olympics. Um, anyway, so I, I guess I'll ask him about Simone Biles. I mean, does he have a heated toilet seat? I think that's something. Sands has a heated toilet seat. Sands sends a message. I love sports and shows a picture of his heated toilet <laughs> well, he's, seat. He's part of network. I mean, come on. Yeah, he's we get should. That toilet yeah. seat. I doubt Barry has a heated toilet seat. <laughs> I mean, just briefly on Simone Biles, the, the, I'll get to this. The mythology of athletics is based on the notion that no matter what's going wrong with you, you suck it up and perform. I mean, that's what you do. That's Michael Jordan, the flu game. That's what you do. Simone Biles didn't do that. Simone Biles is a multiple gold medalist. She has satisfied everybody in terms of her performance. Her, she is beyond reproach on any level. Which leads me to believe that if something is wrong with her and she doesn't feel she can perform to the max, it's okay for her to do this. This is a big change for me. This is not something I ever believed in before. But because Simone Biles has been so great and so consistently great, you know, I say, well, this may be what the new standard in athletics is. Naomi Osaka. This may be the new standard. I don't Wilbon and I are exactly the same on this. We do not want to condemn it. It's not what we grew up with. So it's a little hard for us to wrap our arms around it. But it's this is someone who has won on the biggest stages in her profession consistently. She's the greatest gymnast ever from America. Ever. She may be the greatest gymnast ever. So, so maybe I'll get to that. I shot 80 yesterday. That's Ooh, so great. That's fantastic. Yeah, 41-39. Yeah, you I, missed those putts on 17 and 18. 17 and 18, I had 10-footers. I missed them both. I was, I was right. I was to the right on both. At least I got it to the hole, but I was to the right. Shot 80. That's fantastic. Oh, it was for me. The day, the last time I played, I shot 94. <laughs> I, I was just, you know, now I played from the golds. I played from the up tees. Well, that's that's but, the appropriate team. But yeah, I, came in, I came in and I told the guy in the, you know, in, in the, in the shop, I said, you know, I, I showed the car, I hand, had the card up in my hand and I said, you know, I was in here the other day, had a bad day. He goes, yeah, I remember shot 94, 95. It's a good day. <laughs> and I handed him the card to put in because you got to, you got to oh, post. post the good I post score. It. Yeah. I'll post, I post the bad ones too. And he goes, that's a great day. I said, yeah, I got close to my age on that. Uh, we'll take a break. Barry Zerluga will join us all the way from Tokyo. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. Nigel, you're on. 
love Indochino. How much do I love Indochino suits? I love them so much. I've got three of them. I'll probably be purchasing a fourth. They fit me perfectly because it's tailored to my specific measurements. You can go to an actual tailor and do that. I did it with a piece of rope and a yardstick. Fits me like a glove, though. And you can customize the suit any way you want. This is the point. Yeah. This is the point. It's not just made to measure. It's made to order. Yes. Any special liner? Yes, I've got an English flag. That's the way to go. Union Jack. Yeah, that's great. You know, and and, and maybe fish and chips in the pockets. (laughs) Indochino offers completely custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Every piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail. You can choose everything about your suit from the fabric of the suit, the size of the lapel. If you want to put a monogram on it, a statement lining like Nigel did with the Union Jack, you can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. Again, not just made to measure, made to order. The best part is Indochino's suits start at just $399 with all of the heretofore mentioned customizations included. They don't have the word heretofore in there. I just thought I'd vamp. You can't can't button that, Jack. You have to let it flutter in the wind. (laughs) Indochino is now open at select Nordstrom stores, giving you even more ways to get a great fitting, personalized clothing. Find your nearest location at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code TONYK at checkout. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code TONYK. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Lenora. We played one of our songs last week. It was tremendous. She sent us a total of three songs from an album called Sides of Me by Lenora on Spotify. And so we're going to play a couple today. This is called Ride Out the Night. Big time talent. Lenora. (laughs) Incredible. Big time talent. Um, We are playing in Barry's Verluga, who's actually in, well, he might be in Tokyo. I mean, he might be in his garage. You know, he might be. So, like, we accept on faith that he is there. And. And there's lots of things we can talk about in the Olympics, but we're not going to talk about them at the beginning. We're just not. So it is right now approximately 8 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday morning in Washington, D.C. What time is it in Tokyo? It is 9 p.m. on Wednesday evening. So is that an 11-hour difference or a 13-hour difference? 13-hour difference, and it took me about a week to understand that. So you are 13 (laughs) hours ahead of us. Right, that's right. So night, night. When we are at night, you are in morning, and when we are at morning, you are at night. Okay, okay. So let us talk about everyday life, everyday life covering an Olympics saturated by a pandemic. Where do you stay? Where do you eat? Who do you eat with? What interaction do you have with colleagues, with athletes? Describe every day. So just to get into the country uh, required two tests prior to COVID tests prior to leaving. It took a test, a spit test when we arrived at the airport in Tokyo. um, And it took spit tests each of the first three days we were here and every subsequent fourth day. We are allowed at our hotel. We are allowed at the office at what they call the main press center. Uh, and we are allowed at the venues. We are not allowed, among other other places, at restaurants or bars. Um, we are not allowed to stray. 
We have an app on our phone every day that we register our temperature and answer a series of questions about our health status. Um, and it is my understanding that if, if I were to walk with my phone in an area that I should not be, um, that they could kick me out of the country and take away my credential. Um, that's for 14 days. After 14 days, if we've been here and we've been healthy, we're allowed to go places. So this is, Tony, it's the it's not an Olympics. It's a we're on a sound stage. We're part of a TV program. Yes. We're covering yes. a television program for NBC. And that's fine. The, the athletes can excel and they can rise and the performances are, are worthwhile. But the cultural aspect of the Olympics, discovering Japan, exposing Japan, talking to people about their country, um, that doesn't exist. And and so while I am happy to be here and privileged to be here, um, the entire experience is hollow because it's not what the Olympics of Beijing or London or Rio or, you know, I, I'm pretty sure this is my ninth Olympics for the post. It's, it's just, it is wholly different um, from anything else. And, and just to, you know, answer your question about who, you know, I go to swimming every morning with Dave Shinen and that is a delight because Dave Shinen is a delight. Um, but our, our experience after grinding on those swimming finals in the morning, which are on a newspaper deadline back in the States, uh, because it's in the night in, in the States, um, it's not to go get sushi for lunch, uh, because we're not allowed to do that. It is, okay, what am I going to next? And am I going back to the, you know, it's just, it's just different. So, you know, I'll ask the sort of obvious questions here. First of all, let me, let me say as an aside that my friend Sean, who was there with NBC, talked about the spit test too. And he said, you have no idea how much spit you have to deliver. Yeah. And I wrote him a note back saying, just drink a lot of water to make sure. <laughs> Barry, is, were those tests tough? I mean, the, the indication was these spit tests, are, it's just not a casual thing. You could be there for a while. You got to fill it up, man. I mean, you, you got to produce what you have. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's like if you've ever had to take a urine test and not had to go to the bathroom, like that's a thing, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've learned, and you can't, you cannot eat or drink anything for 30 minutes prior to those things. So, uh, you know, I get oh. up in the morning, I'm like coffee, water, you're hydrating. I'm like, oh, no, I have to do this test. I just set myself back. I so, you know, it's, Whatever. This is the kind of conversation you have with your family about co covering the Olympics. It's not the kind of conversation you have with sports fans about covering the Olympics because they don't they don't care whether you had to spit in a tube or not. Um, the reality, yeah, is, but people who you, listen you, to this podcast want oh to hear gosh, this. They're stuff. so into the saliva, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly right. They want to hear so, this. Let me let me go into it. It kind of oozes through this tube into another tube. Anyway, there. That's the reality of it. It's, it's okay. It's a an inconvenience. And how. What percentage of the day in a public setting, not in your room, in a public setting, are you masked? Um, I would say 80 because we, I walk, if I put the mask on when I walk out into the hall in the hotel and, um, yeah. and I will say, Tony, if you're interested about this, so we have a breakfast bu buffet in the hotel. It is where you fuel yourself for the day. It's not a breakfast buffet that would interest you in any way that scrambled eggs are very soup like um, they have miso soup for breakfast. But if you're going to charge yourself up, you need to get something 
there. At is, that is this the hotel buffet or is this the Washington Post specific buffet? This is the hotel buffet. So there okay. are, you know, other journalists staying here. Okay. And at that buffet, you have your temperature taken when you're when you walk in. You are given a pair of plastic gloves and you are expected when you're going to the buffet, not only to have your mask on, but to have these plastic gloves on. It's it's at some level, it is kind of hygiene feeder, right? Like you then go back to your table and you are separated from anybody that you're eating with by a plastic partition. So I, I get that Tokyo and Japan have had rising numbers. If you look at their numbers, they're nothing, nothing compared, nothing compared to, to the U.S. numbers. What the U.S. Nothing. has been. No, so nothing. And I, and I am. Don't get me wrong. I'm in a foreign country. I'm going to comply by whatever they sure. want me to do, particularly if it's on the side of erring on the side of caution. I'm, I'm fine with that. But there is a performatory, like a performance element to it. Um, that is odd. You, if I go back up to refill my coffee cup, I am expected to put on these plastic gloves again and, yeah. you know, go up to the, and press the lever for the coffee and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not a complaint, so, a reality. People actually who listen to this are loving this because I'm loving this. <laughs> I've done this. I've been in Olympics. I know what you do in Olympics. This is nothing like regular Olympics. I was free to go anywhere I wanted to go. In Seoul, Korea, in Atlanta, Georgia, in Lillehammer, Norway, in Barcelona, Spain. Go wherever I wanted to go. Part of the Olympic experience was doing that, was interacting with people who lived there, was describing what it looked like, describing what it smelled like, describing what it felt like. This, this is completely different. Are any stores or restaurants open? Not that you'd even be able to go into them, but after 14 days, would you be able to go into them if they well, were open? That's the that's the other part of it, Tony, is that it's it, there is a state of emergency, quote, and I, I have been putting it in my copy in quotes because there's there's not really a change in, in Tokyo. Um, the big change is that the restaurants and bars are not supposed to sell alcohol, and that affects all of us to different levels. Um, but if we, I've talked to our, you know, Tokyo Bureau people over here, um, and, and the the state of emergency is largely a reaction to the Olympics and the fact that all these people are going to be coming from from out of the country. Um, so if you walked through, I've been told this. I don't know this because I haven't been allowed to do it. But if you walk through central Tokyo, and we don't, we are not staying in central Tokyo. If you walk through central Tokyo on a Tuesday afternoon at the lunch hour, you would see hundreds or thousands of regular Japanese people going about their business, very masked, but getting, you know, lunch mm -hmm. and doing their shopping in a, in a normal, a normal in a pandemic kind of way that we've become used to over the last year and a half. Um, it's not as dramatic as I think that people have been led to believe. Uh, I, I would just put it that way. And I, and I get that. I, I mean, I remember in Seoul, Korea, there were demonstrations for months upon months before um, the Olympics started and there were fires being lit and there were people in the streets. And when he got there, they said to, to us, yeah, that's roped off every night. It's the same people every single night. We don't even worry about it. 
<laughs> but I mean, but it's right. on the news every single night in America. Got you crazy. So I, so I'm glad to know that Japan is Japan, and that this is happening because of the Olympics, which is, as we've des- described, a television show. That's all it's, it is. Because there are no is. fans. There are no families. What is that like for the competitors? Well, I, you know, I know you don't necessarily want to talk about Biles specifically. Oh no, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, it, I'm, it, I'm, 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 let me just the, say this: all of this leads to Biles. All of it leads to Biles, obviously. Okay, so, so go ahead. So I, I'll just I'll say generally. So I, I would start with the opening ceremonies, which I went to on 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 Friday night, and I described it in my column as a, a dress rehearsal um, because that's what it felt like. You're sitting there in a stadium with sixty eight thousand seats, so not not the Rose Bowl, but you know certainly the Meadowlands or, or whatever, a professional football stadium. And there are 68,000 empty seats. And this, this performance goes on. Um, you know, the opening ceremonies are always more theater than athletic event. And I'm not a theater critic. So, you know, they, whatever, they did a good job of conveying what Japan is like and what the last year has been like for athletes being training alone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it did not, it did not, it can't push the emotions. It can't lift you in the way that it could if there were 60 or 70,000 people in the arena experiencing it simultaneously and sharing it. And, and having any of those trite Olympic values really play in that, we, you know, it's about unity and solidarity and we're bringing the world together through sport and all that kind of stuff that you can roll your eyes at yeah. in normal times. But in this time, it, it, it's just not, it's not a factor. It is, you're sitting there and you're like, I hope that this plays well on NBC because that's all that it's for. And that's why we are here is because NBC is finishing up a four something bill, billion dollar contract with the IOC to finish a run of games that ends in 2000 with the 2020, which became the 2021 games. And with the Winter Olympics in Beijing next February, begins a roughly seven and a half billion dollar contract to to carry the games from 2022 to 2032. That's why we're here. And I don't. I'm not saying even that as criticism. I'm saying that as reality. Like that. Like let's not pretend that this yeah, is an right. exercise sure. in in bringing the world together. And I'm happy to chronicle the the exploits of the athlete if there's something that moves me or moves the country like that that hap- that it matters that's great but i also think it's important to say that this is it's summer television programming and it had to happen now because you can't bump it to the fall because then nbc has football on and football is going to get better ratings than the olympics so it's yeah. just that's yeah. that's the reality so we'll get to Biles. Um, as I said earlier in the show, she has proved herself on the world stage beyond any American gymnast of all time. She's a multiple gold medal winner in various Olympics. There is no question. There is no disputing her commitment, her talent, her excellence, her performance. There's no disputing it. She went out there and she said, I'm done. It wasn't maybe 
It's different than no mas with Roberto Duran because he's getting punched in the head. It's just a different deal. But she said, I'm done. And she talked about the fact that mentally she just wasn't there. This is something we've heard from athletes recently. I'm too old to have heard this. Uh, Barry, what I said earlier was that, you know, you, you grow up and, and you say you suck it up and you perform. I mean, that's, that's just what you do. This appears to be changing. I do not find fault with anything that she has done, but I do, I, you know, like everybody else, and Wilbon and I talked about this, with a lack of certainty. We just, we just said we're not, we don't know. We're just, we don't know how we feel. We don't know what's going on here. Um, and I attributed it to the pandemic. I just said the upheaval in our lives is such the uncertainty in our lives, the dissettling of ourselves in our lives is such that I could see it, of course, translating to an athlete. You know, I work in a different spot. I don't see the people I usually do. I feel differently about my surroundings all the time. I can't imagine that athletes don't feel the same way. And tell me your thoughts on Simone Biles. Well, I mean, the problem is, Tony, this is a, a two-hour discussion or, or a oh. symposium. Um, but, but yes, you're, you're right on so many levels. And let's just take the, the pandemic element of it. Simone Biles, at age 19, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, won, led her team to the all-around title, won the all-around gold, won four golds and a bronze, and, and solidified herself as somebody in her sport who was doing something other people had never done. Um, she chose to remain on for the next four years. The finish line was July, 2020. It was not July, 2021. And moving that finish line for her and telling her at age 23, you're going to be doing this until you're 24, um, rattled her to her core. She signed up for it. And, and you can be cynical about why she signed up for it, which was, you know, the endorsements that follow and just setting yourself up for the rest of your life. That's fine. That's legitimate. That's, she's entitled to that. Leg- Absolutely. She's entitled to it because she's worked for it. And she's right. also entitled to it to stand on that mat last night and say, I cannot do this. And I would say, Tony, you know, you and I, I'm sure, have both stood over four foot putts that we know have zero chance of going in. And, <laughs> and that, I say, that's that, good, right? That's good. Well, that, right, that affects me and you and the match that we're having. But the yips, if she's having the yips, she's having them pick a number of feet, 10, 12, 15 feet above, above the mat. And now, she doesn't know where her body is. She's known where her body is since she was 10 years old. And now she's lost it and she can't feel it. And she doesn't know where she is in the air. And she's risking injury to herself. And as she said last night, she's risking the position of the team. So I, this is, you are completely right that um, we've always assessed athletic performance as and championship mentality as involving mental toughness. And that I think the way I walk away from this is you can believe that mental toughness and staring adversity in the face and overcoming all of that is a quality that a champion can have. And you can also simultaneously have empathy for a champion who in the moment 
is just like, you know what? Today, I do not have it. I'm being honest with myself and I'm being honest with my teammates and I'm being honest with the world that this would be a disaster if I went forward. It was a, it was a stunning moment in the arena. Um, and it's a discussion. It's very clear, Tony, that we're going to be having going forward. And it's not just going to be about gymnasts. It's going to be about NFL players and NBA players and, and the most prominent athletes that we cover. Oh, you're right. I can't tell you how happy I am that you would come on and do the show. Um, and what a great connection this is. Yeah. Surprisingly great connection. I won't bother you again. And I, I would tell you to enjoy the Olympics, but enjoyment is No, not. bother me. Bother me. Do- <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll call back then. Check, we'll call in, back. check in next week. I mean, I'll, I'll have a different story. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. And say hi to everybody there, particularly Shining, you know, and whoever else is there. And I don't Rennie. know who else is there. Oh, Rennie's there. That's right. Rennie's there. Yeah, that shocked me the yeah. other day. I sent Rennie the usual text attacking something that was in the paper. And he said, leave me alone. I'm in Tokyo. <laughs> So really, I didn't. I didn't even know anybody was going, and then it turns out what about ten people have gone. I was, I was sort of stunned by that. I mean, in the sections every day we've, are like you know fifteen pages. We've got long. fifteen people here. We've got fifteen. Wow. Yeah, it, it's fine. Really we're going to do it. We're going to do it regardless of what it takes. All right, save up the spit for the next test. <laughs> Barry's Verluga, boys and girls. That was great. That was just great. We will take a break. Uh, Tim Kirkchen will join us. We'll talk about the imminent uh, trade deadline in Major League Baseball when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the ZipRecruiter ad. They want me to talk about the challenges of hiring. It's hard for me to do because I don't actually hire anybody except... Michael and Nigel, I hired you, but I, I felt I could, I knew you well enough that I could do that. But, but when you are, what? No, no, I was just going to say you guilt us every time you do this read. Yeah. Right, please get back to it. Okay. Um, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. It's no wonder over 2.3 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Wow. So while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com Tony. Once again, remember to go to this unique place, ZipRecruiter.com Tony, T-O-N-Y. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll know you're listening. You do it in this way, they know you're listening. So if you're hiring people, go to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. It's been a hard life. Living in the city just ain't that easy. Everyone, they look so lonely. Once again, this is Leonora. We have played her work before. It's better than ours. It's, I mean, that's how I feel. It's better than ours. Michael, if people like Leonora want to send their original music to us, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And let me remind people once again that you can listen to Leonora or anybody else we play in their entirety after the podcast, after we're done babbling. Leonora plays in Tim Kirkchen. And it, look, this is pretty simple. The trade deadline is in two days, and it's already begun. Um, I... The other night when Scherzer was scratched, I assumed he was traded. Last night when Trey Turner came out in the first inning, I assumed he was traded. I'm not the only one who makes these assumptions. 
all fans of all teams make these assumptions at trade time if the team appears to be selling. And after what happened against Philadelphia on Monday night, the Nats appeared to be selling. I'll, Tim, before we get to them, there have been two pretty big moves already, and they happened. one happened a week ago, Nelson Cruz uh, going to Tampa, which is unusual for Tampa to pick up salary, and Adam Frazier, who I think leads the majors in actual hits, goes to San Diego. How big were those two? And then we'll get to what may happen. Well, those were big, Tony, because Nelson Cruz, even though he's in his 40s, is still a very productive hitter. And the Rays are really good, but they needed another middle-of-the-order guy, and they got him, and he's already hit a couple of homers. We're doing their game tonight against the Yankees. Oh, okay. He's going to fit in. He already has. He fits in perfectly there. Real pro, loves to play, and he's exactly what the Rays needed in the middle of their order. Adam Frazier is just another sign that the Padres are going for it. Their general manager, A.J. Preller, who I know very well, is you know he never sleeps. He's maniacal. He's always trying to make his team better. He's wildly competitive. So he went and got a second baseman who can also play the outfield, who leads the league in hits, as you said, and it gives them another hitter. They're not a great offensive team, the Padres, other than, say, Fernando Tatis Jr., so they needed somebody else. And A.J. Preller went and got him, and he's not done, I don't think, in acquiring because the Giants are really good, the Dodgers are really good, they're the defending champs of the Padres, are going to win the division and do something in October. They had to do something now, and they have, and I don't think they're done. The biggest name out there, if he's out there, would be Max Scherzer. He could be this year's Justin Verlander. He could go and take a team and win a World Series. So, I mean, I don't think anybody would dispute that. Do you, you know the Nats, and you know Mike Rizzo. Do you think that Scherzer is going to be dealt? Well, note my hesitation, Tony. There are so many moving parts here. I'm just not certain. First off, Mike Rizzo adds at the deadline, not subtracts. But the Nationals, after Monday night, were, you know, were nine under, nine and a half out, or whatever they were. And that's just not the way to win a division. So the logical thing to do, to me, is to trade him, get two really good pieces in return, and then re-sign him after the season as a free agent, just like the Cubs, the Yankees did with Roldis Chapman a few years ago. Um, but, of course, Scherzer has 10-5 and five rights, meaning he can veto any deal. It's my understanding he's not averse to going somewhere, as long as it's a place where he can maybe win another ring. But he's still going to be in charge of this negotiation, and we're still not 100% sure if he's 100% healthy, and if you're, if you're a team out there, you're not going to trade for somebody unless you're certain he's Max Scherzer and he's 100%. I think he's going to be fine physically. I think he would be an enormous difference maker down the stretch. I agree with you with the Verlander comparison. That's how good Max Scherzer still is in the big leagues. Do you think that that's a reasonable thing, that Max Scherzer would let himself be rented out for a few months and then spurn a contract offer at that team and come back to Washington? I mean, in order to do something like that, it seems to me 
that Scherzer and Rizzo would have had to have had this conversation, that Scherzer would be a willing participant and that if a trade was made, they would work on it together, or am I overestimating? Well, I think it's reasonable in this day and age, Tony. I mean, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm going to go win a a ring for this team, and then I'm just going to leave them, and I'm coming right back to you. But that's how it works in our game today, not just with the player, but with the team. Now, I'm not suggesting that they've already got all of this set up, because what if he goes, let's just say he goes to San Diego and making all this up, and they Mm -hmm. win a championship, the first time the Padres have ever won, and he's great, and the situation is great. Why would he leave San Diego if they're going to offer him the most money, in theory, to stay? Now, all of this I'm making up. But, yes, so I don't think you can have it in place that this is exactly what's going to happen, Max. We're going to trade you. You're going to win. You're going to tell them, see you later, and you're coming right back to us. I don't think you can make all those – you can put all that together and then have Mm -hmm. it work out perfectly. Who are – I mean, I'm fixated on Scherzer because of where I live and the team that I root for, but what are – or who are the other big names – who are likely to be dealt within the next, what, 72 hours? Yeah, the Cubs, we have to keep our eye on, Tony, because they're not contenders. They're not very good right now. The Brewers are demonstrably better than them now, and they're not winning a wild card. So will they trade Anthony Rizzo, their first baseman? My guess is no, they're not going to trade him. They're going to try to re-sign him long term. Are they going to trade Javi Baez, their shortstop? Of course it's possible. It's, it's possible with Rizzo, but I'm going to guess they're not going to trade him either. But I don't know if they have the money or want to sign him for $200 million moving forward. So my guess is Chris Bryant is the most logical guy to go. He's had a pretty good year. He's versatile. He can play the infield and the outfield. He would look perfect playing third base for the Mets every day, and the Mets desperately need another hitter in the middle of their order. The Cubs also have Craig Kimbrell, who's a top-notch closer, maybe the best reliever in baseball this year who could make an enormous difference for any team that is in a contending situation. So I'm guessing two of those four big Cubs go somewhere, and that could tip the balance to whoever gets them. The Nats, apparently, it's being reported that they said you can have anybody off a roster except Juan Soto. That means Trey Turner is available. Again, last night, they take him out in the first inning, and I just assume he was traded. I certainly didn't think he was coming down with the coronavirus. <laughs> I really that, I, that never even figured to me, Tim. Uh, I don't know how, uh, in the National League, you got a bunch of great shortstop. Baez is a great shortstop. Tatis is a great shortstop. So is Turner. Why would you get rid of Turner? Do you think that's a reasonable thing to get rid of Turner? No, I think that's an unreasonable yeah. thing. Now, look, this is not my money, Tony, but if you you have to keep both of those guys yes. if you're gonna if you're gonna be a contender long term. Juan Soto is as good a hitter as there is in the game today. Period. And Trey Turner is to me, and I love Javi Baez. He's a better player than Javi Baez is because of a few other things he can do. He is, he's got power, he's got speed, he plays defense, he's a great teammate. I don't see why the Nationals would not move forward 
without him. However, you've got Strasburg signed long-term. You're going to have to give Soto a zillion dollars, which he will deserve in today's day and age. You want to bring Max Scherzer back somehow next year. So there's only so much money to go around. But Trey Turner is a better player than people think he is. And among all these great shortstops that are coming up for free agency, and he's not one of them yet because he's arbitration eligible next year, that guy's really, really good. Okay, I'm glad you feel that way. I will stick with the Nats, and I will say what I've said to my son a number of times in the last few days. The clinical definition of insanity is to keep repeating the same thing over and over and think the result will be different. Davey Martinez continues to trot out Brad Hand to save games, who continues to blow saved games. He's awful. He's just awful. Are the Nats, does anybody want him, and would the Nats get rid of him? Yes. My guess is Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson, who's good. Uh, Brad Hand hasn't been good lately. Both will move. This is the time of year, Tony, where relievers go to championship-caliber teams, and they make a difference given how important bullpens are to every game these days. So Daniel Hudson would really help a contender. Brad Hand, as a left-hander, could really help somebody, but probably not as the closer, at least not the way he has pitched lately. So lately. I I think if the Nats are unloading or moving people, it will be those two guys first, as opposed to Scherzer and Turner, and there will be people in line to get Daniel Hudson, and there will people there will be people who want Brad Hand. Okay, I'll get you out of here on this, and we'll go national with it. Joe Madden, who everybody loves, because he's a raconteur and a smart guy, uh, thinks that there's no doubt that Shohei Otani is the MVP in the American League. There's just no doubt. And if you voted for somebody else, you'd be an idiot. I think you could vote for Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr. I mean, he could win the Triple Crown. And the other part is uh, somebody on the Red Sox or somebody in Houston. I mean, if somebody in the last third of the season just is dynamic on a – on a team that is in the playoffs. The Angels are not even in the playoffs at the moment. I could see giving it to them, but I'm wondering how you feel about what Madden said with Otani. Well, of course he's going to say that about his own guys. Yeah, and yes, yeah. it's been the most incredible season, really, that any of us has ever seen. That's given right. that he got to 35, he got to 100 strikeouts as a pitcher with 35 home runs. <laughs> the That's most home good. runs before that of any pitcher who got to 100 strikeouts was nine. He <laughs> hit his 36th last night. So he has four times as many homers as any pitcher who's ever struck out 100 batters in a season. That's how good Shohei Otani has been. And yet, if uh, Vlad Guerrero wins the Triple Crown and yeah. somehow Toronto makes the playoffs, how can you vote? against him. Uh, I don't think he's going to win even if he wins the Triple Crown. Ted Williams in 42 and 47 won the Triple Crown and didn't win the MVP. Lou Gehrig won the Triple Crown in 34 and didn't win the MVP, and neither did Joe, uh, Chuck Klein in 1933. None of that matters today. Here's the difference, Tony. It's not the MVP anymore for me. Uh, we are voting on this as the player of the year. It's no longer about did you help your team win and go to the playoffs. That is a secondary element now. It's still a primary element for old guys like me. I want to see you take your team to the playoffs. And you're right. If Xander Bogarts or Rafael Devers has an amazing finish here and the yeah. Red Sox win the division, yeah. 
they're, they're going to get a lot of support for MVP, and they should. But I'm telling you again, Shohei Otani at this moment is the MVP and should be the MVP, but that could change. I'll go way back on this. You'll remember Zoilo Versales of the Twins. He had a great year. He was voted MVP. The Twins finished like 80 games out. And you say, wait, how valuable could he be? You know, I mean, just say most outstanding player if you want to make it that way, right? I mean, that's it's semantical, but it's a legitimate thing to say, right? Right. Well, Andre Dawson won the MVP on a sub-500 team, so did Cal Ripken. But things have changed in the voting process and the way we look at things, and I'm okay with the change. But if I'm voting, I'm I'm still going to take a look at how many truly meaningful games did you play and how much did you have to do with your team winning? Those are difficult questions today, but I still ask them. Thank you, Tim. Talk soon. Appreciate it. Have fun doing the game tonight. Okay, Tony. Thank you. Tim Kirkjian, boys and girls. He's headed out right now to an avocado stand, one of those Norman's <laughs> fruits and vegetable stands. Uh, we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. You tell them turn on PTI because they'll like the host. Vacation in the hole with because they'll like the coast. They should spend a bunch of money for a piece of toast. <laughs> when you were writing columnettes, they were in the post. If you get something for free, then you like the boast. Hey, it's just a dime a day, man, you'll love this toast. It's just a piece of toast. This toaster is, it's my understanding, the toaster goes for 300 bucks. That's a lot of money. Yes, it is. It's a tremendous amount of money for a toaster. <laughs> well, it also tells the time. My friends are making high-tech gadgetry, and so I beg them to send it to me. But I won't pay, because I'd like it for free. Seven browning level stainless steel A toaster touchscreen Can this thing be real? Just 300 bucks What a deal This is brilliant by Joe Arrow <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant by Joe Arrow And it reminds me again We have the panini press Michael, on Friday We need to make a grilled cheese sandwich Done it done We need to do it Friday morning And tell people about it That's very important <laughs> My chance to meddle very, Yes, that's right Bronze Bronze. I'll save up the spit. Uh, Bethesda Bagels. Go ahead. Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say when I left my home and my family, I was no more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of a railway station running scared, laying low, seeking out the poorer quarters where the ragged people go, looking only for the places only they would know. That's Simon and Garfunkel. That's the boxer. Thanks to our guest. Guests today, Barry's Verluga, Tim Kirchin. Thanks to today's sponsors, Indochino ZipRecruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. This is um, from Jeremiah Dixon. Jeremiah from Colorado Springs, not Jeremiah from Geneva, New York. He makes sure to say. <laughs> says, my best friend shares your name. This is to Jesse. I was the best man when he was married 17 years ago, and at his wedding reception, we danced to the Rick Springfield song. Everyone, including Jesse, loved the selection made by the DJ. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. However, Joy to the World is an absurd song and objectively (laughs) horrible. But please tell me more about the soup you like. If you don't think that's good, Tom Jones, not that Tom Jones, Jones, wrote me this. Jeremiah, 
John Glenn, Jesse, try living with Tom Jones as your name. What do you want to hear? What's new, pussycat? Delilah, it's not unusual. I get them all. So, that was interesting. First names from Sam Davidson in Simsbury, Connecticut. Scotty and Jeremiah have it all wrong. I'm about your age. There were very few boys named Sam when I was growing up. I remember my French teacher just off the boat taught me a life lesson on her first day of freshman year when she questioned my name. She said, you mean like Uncle Sam? I replied, we, oui, and never <laughs> forgot. So nowadays when bad cell phone receptions causes someone to question my name, I always say Sam like Uncle Sam and think back to freshman year. By the way, ever since the show Cheers, Sam has been a popular name. Sam Malone. Sam Mayday Malone, that's Sam right. Sam Malone. From Mark Feinstein. Ah, I was giddy to hear that one of the littles was enamored with our camp talk last week. But learning that the people of Pointel have dropped the T and now it's just Point L, my mind is blown. <laughs> From uh, James Dobos, July 21st, approximately 2.30 p.m., Great American Ballpark, Reds versus Mets. Ballpark announcer, now pitching for the Reds, Sean Doolittle. Guy standing next to me says, I can't believe they actually traded for this guy. He stinks. <laughs> I turn to him and I say, do you listen to Tony Kornheiser? Is that a David Aldridge moment? Brilliant. <laughs> Emmett Logan in Pinehurst, North Carolina. I wonder uh -huh. if he knows Alex. We have the Junior Am this week at Pinehurst. Yeah. At, well, actually, it's at the Country Club in North Carolina that, yeah. in Pinehurst. This is the first double field, 264 players, so they needed two championship courses. Metal players on Dogwood and Cardinal, and the match is on Dogwood. These kids are unreal. We had a 64 on Dogwood, a 65 on Cardinal, both competitive course records. Oh, by the way, they count. Both courses were set at 7,150 yards, and Cardinal's a 71. You've shown interest in playing Little's courses, so on one of your Pinehurst trips, you should come play Dogwood. Both are great, but Dogwood is a top five North Carolina and second only to number two here. We can take a run at the record. Let's hold on to that. So green and Be so different for number two. I would like to see Country Club in North Carolina. I really would. From Chris Ely. Especially now that she shot an 80 from the Golds. Yeah, from the Golds, though. Chris, yeah, I got to move way up. <laughs> got to move up to the senior women's tees. Chris Ely, Dayton, Ohio. Dear Tony, 73. Had a proud little moment on Sunday while watching the final round of the British Open. I said Jordan Spieth is making a run after he birdied the 14th hole. From across the kitchen, my daughter Maria broke into the chorus of balding Jordan Spieth. <laughs> Thanks for all the laughs. I can't wait to hear about the surveillance video footage once you get back in the studio. From Kale Tomney in Canton, Georgia. You have spoken recently of returning to the studio. I truly can't wait for that to happen. As much as I love the show, doing it in person is monumentally better. The timing, the flow, and the laughter are all better when in person. But I'm wondering if when you return to the studio, if Chessie will be joining you, asking for my dog. We have not made that decision yet. From Mike Roseberry in State College, Pennsylvania. Dear Dr. Hoffwaff, I was watching the movie Streets of Fire yesterday, an early 80s B-movie gem. It's billed as a rock and roll fable, so naturally the movie begins and ends with performances by the fictional group. I've seen this movie at least 10 times. I've never seen it, I add parenthetically. This is the first time I thought the structure of the opening sound song sounded familiar. I put that aside and I watched the movie. When the ending song comes on, I'm struck by how theatrical it is, almost operatic, and then it comes to me. This sounds like something Meatloaf would sing. I breathlessly wait for the credits, and sure enough, the two songs in question were written by Jim Steinman. This is the kind of gift that the show gives its listeners. I may not know Beethoven from Bach, but I can pick out an early 80s pop song <laughs> penned by a Hewlett High School grad without a hitch. That's lovely. Uh, from Will Shensky in Silver Spring, Maryland. 
Hello, Mr. Tony. I know you don't want people sending you jokes, but I have a good one about B. Arthur. Stop me if you've heard <laughs> it. <laughs> Paul from Lindsay, Ontario in Canada. In case you don't know, Brook 40 will be swimming in the 4 by 200 meter relay heat at 7.11 Eastern on Wednesday the 28th. So I missed it. Oops, we missed that. So I missed it. It'd be great to listen to you guys watching it live. The finals are also on the 28th, but not until 11.31 p.m. Oh, I missed that one. I'm sorry. Um... Mark Copeland from Hershey, Pennsylvania, where I have been numerous times in my life. And he talks about varmin control. He says there's only one way to control these little monsters. Who, by the way, picked two tomatoes off yesterday. Picked them off and took them away. Yeah. Well, they were waiting for them to Took ripen. them away. Yeah. There's only one way to control these little monsters. Get a bigger monkey. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. Oh, oh, 
Keep. 